Greetings, and indeed, salutations. Welcome to the Silence is Golden podcast, your home for discussion, analysis, and general geekery about silent film. I'm Brett Odom. And I'm Bryce Odom. And Bryce, today we're diving into the world of animation. Walt Disney? No, it turns out that that's a lie. What? Okay, a lie's a little harsh. But, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the mouse is not responsible for the oldest feature animated film. Then what is? It's, in fact, The Adventures of Prince Ahmed, uh, written and uh, written by Latka Reniger. For those of y'all at home, um, I knew the answer to that. That was a dramatic representation. Just for you. You're welcome. Bryce, don't peel away the dramatic effect of our introductions. I'm Movie sorry. magic. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway. So, yeah, so we, yes, we are diving into The Adventures of Prince Ahmed, which is the oldest surviving animated feature film in existence today. Uh, it is not the oldest feature film. For a long time, they actually would tell you in your film history books that it was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs from Walt Disney. To be fair to the history books, I'm not sure it was clear this film sur had survived in the 1950s when they were making that claim uh, in the history books. Uh, but... It is certainly not the case. We do have the film today. Uh, it's been it, uh, negatives existed in the uh, British Film Institute uh, and were restored, and we now have we do have uh, the film today. Uh, but there were at least two films produced in Argentina before it. Uh, they are lost, unfortunately. So this here, a story of the Arabian Nights, the Adventures of Prince Ahmed from 1926, is the oldest feature film. That's animated. Fascinating. It is fascinating. We actually got together in person. We are recording this together in person, not over the internet. We are sitting around the kitchen table the morning after we watched this film together. This is two two episodes in a row we've gotten to film together. We have gotten to do this together. We say film uh, due, to the, due to the wonkiness of our software. We have to record this to make it as easy as possible to do the sound editing later. <laughs> Uh, I look behind. I look behind the curtain there, but uh, we are. Uh, but we are sitting here recording this together this morning, uh, and got to enjoy the film last night together. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, and it's a unique film because the animation style she uses is not one that we continue using today. It's a very different style. No, it's uh, she used silhouette animation, uh, shadow puppetry, essentially. Uh, kind of, uh, Lot, uh, Lotta Reniger, who's the pi uh, pioneer in animation, uh, and she really was a pioneer in animation. She was recognized as such in her time. Uh, she was herself quite innovative. She would she created intricate silhouettes, uh, and she was, I believe, a governess at the time. Uh, when her employer noticed she had this real talent, she would just create these silhouettes, uh, silhouette art, and it's like Lotta. Couldn't you make a movie with this? And this was very early days. It's just, I've actually been thinking about it for a long time, but you know that's not something easy to do. And it's like, well, let me take care of that. <laughs> Sometimes it's who you know, folks. Uh, and so sometimes it's always who you know. Exactly. So they set up a, a, a kind of a mini film studio there. Uh, you know, next next door, he got the funding all together. Uh, a small team that included her husband and a few other people. Uh, like all cinema, even though Lotta Redinger is who we talk about, and I do apologize, I may be slotting her name in German, but I, I, I don't speak German. Uh, but Lotta, Lotta Redinger uh, gets the credit 
as the animation pioneer and well-deserved credit, but it was a team effort. The intricate backgrounds, beautiful tinted uh, negatives were, uh, that gave us uh, the capital of the Caliph and the demon island of Wok Wok uh, and, the and the Chinese emperor's palace. All of these intricate backgrounds and settings were designed by her her co-creators. Uh, co and several of them uh, go on to be early, uh, uh, important early animators themselves. Mm -hmm. So this really, this really is just a monumental work and a pioneering work uh, in, of the silent era of animation. Uh, and the fact that it became a bit lost to memory is a shame because it I, as I think we can agree after watching last night, it's a wonderful film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She uh, So what she did to create it, they make great use... It's silhouettes. Uh, so they make great use of negative space. You have these black shadow puppets uh, that are intricately created. They are puppets, so they can be easily moved. But they're... But also, before we go too far, mm -hmm. think more of it, uh, these shadow puppets being used like claymation. Yes. Um, they, it is still done frame by frame. This is not moving this is not puppetry this is animation yeah frame they're moving they they need to move so that it can be moved frame by frame by frame and lotta herself made a comment that you have to study natural movement to be able to make the make the puppets themselves that were used as the basis for animation for the animation uh so that you can make them as realistic as possible now do some of it looks you know quaint by our standards of course but this was groundbreaking and innovative when it was made. And today, and you could say it's quaint today, but at the same time, you could also argue that today people would do, um, I don't want to say exaggerated movement like they do here, but um, but stylized movement <laughs> they do here as a, very much on purpose today. Mm -hmm. So it really doesn't look, even if um, we can do better with, precise animation today it is uh incredibly well done and it still looks incredibly well done it doesn't look out of date mm -hmm. yeah the only thing that i really thought of in it that maybe looks a little out of a little a little it's like oh well, that's a, that's a weird motion is like when the when the at the beginning the sorcerer really the, the, there's a there's a magician and he is casting a spell and he is just like go he he is waving like he is one of the uh uh, like he's one of the inflatables outside of a car dealership, uh, but it's he, I want to do his yoga because that's a flexible man right there. I mean, I mean he is just like doing all he's doing all the things. <laughs> uh, and then of course the flying horse is that because there's a flying horse. It's a fantasy film, of course. There's a flying horse. It the flying horse is not listen. It just seems like and up and down and up and down. It's like it's it's a little it's it's not quite as quite as fluid as some of the other animation. But even then, when you look, that there are details on it that are like, oh, look what look what they did there. Oh yeah, uh, the flowing hair of the women yep. uh, uh, is particularly impressive. And I think I've already said this that they make great use of negative space in this because the shadow puppets themselves, of course, are black, and so they it's using the non-black space to create the perception that. Ahmed is hiding in a bush like ah the fern him and the fern are black but by creating but by using the rest of the space it creates the perception that he is hiding under the bush uh or 
they wonderful effects uh, create the sense of magic as the sorcerer and the witch, the two magical characters in it, uh, battle one another. So these are, this is really innovative stuff in a time when they really were the first. And yes, there were some Argentinian animations, but you know that hadn't really reached Europe. We're dealing with just some short animations, nothing feature length. And so this was an intense project that took a couple years uh, and they pulled it off quite suddenly they really did and um we were talking about the, the biggest shame is the fact that it became lost in the first place um and i know you're about to talk in the background of mm -hmm. all this but i guess to set you up for to talk about the background mm -hmm. how successful was it in germany everywhere but germany it was a huge hit in germany for some reason the distributor had no confidence in it marketed in a heavily edited version that he labeled a detective film and it took some time for a lot of to sue to get the rights back and release the original but everywhere it this film released uh we uh everywhere this film released was a success uh critically acclaimed by everyone uh she was friends with some no she was friends in uh in notable art circles in berlin including uh, Berchtel Brecht, uh, the famous, famous writer. So it's you know she had connections in there, and they all responded quite well. This the uh, the art community of her home was supportive, and the broader community of film uh, was wowed by what she did. Uh, and again, un understandably so. Commercially, it took a little bit of time. Uh, uh, in the Millstone DVD, Millstone Film DVD, which is what we watched and which was released with the British Film Institute's uh, copies of the negatives, which are the surviving negatives that right. were used for the restoration, uh, they have a wonderful documentary, and they were talking about this that people very much liked it. It was critically acclaimed, but it took quite some time for it to start earning its money back. Now, is um, I mean, I guess it's just because it. It was so different from everything else they knew. I guess the viewing public wasn't really sure what they were getting in the first place. I, I think that was probably something. I think that especially hit the Germans, mm -hmm. uh, that they they didn't know how to market it. And so they marketed it badly. But animation in and of itself was not wholly new. It just had not been done to this extent. Mm -hmm. uh, short film. Short, and Lada herself had uh, worked on some short projects before and after. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this one uh, and would do lar at least one more larger project uh, with Doctor Doolittle later on, but nonetheless, it's uh, this you know this was a this was a big uh, this was a big departure from that, but that's one of the reasons it was so critically acclaimed. Uh, her her style her art was impressive. Now I'm going to say one last thing of this, and then Bryce, I'm going to let you talk us actually about through the film itself because uh, we've we've. In fact, this is, we've already been talking about the background here for the film. Uh, one last thing. Like I said, it was a small team of people making this. Uh, basically, the whole whole structure went from floor to ceiling. Uh, because you had to have the camera set up high above where they are manipulating the shadow figures and the sets and the backgrounds mm -hmm. and everything. And having it all assembled. And so basically, the camera is up a ladder. 
and they are on the floor on their knees for hours doing frame Ooh. by frame. Uh, and it was said that when they stopped working for lunch, uh, like it was groans as if they'd been tortured because they'd all been there having to see, all these grown people <laughs> were having to be on their knees now if you uh, for hours and uh, you know. The knees are the first things to go Let's when you're getting older. <laughs> and so they were all in a good bit of pain having to do this. And this took several years uh, to actually do the whole actual production of the film. Uh, so, But they were dedicated to it, and they put up with the, uh, the pain of being on their knees on hardwood floors, uh, putting together frame by frame this epic of the Arabian Nights. So with that, Bryce, why don't you talk to us a little bit? about what actually happened in the film. Great. So uh, we've already mentioned a couple of the fantastical elements of this, and obviously the title of it is The Adventures of Prince Ahmed. Uh, it is an adaptation of several parts of the Arabian Nights, uh, including Aladdin, which is the one that most of us who have grown up uh, in the shadow of Walt Disney uh, is the one we all know. Are you telling me Walt Disney came for Lada even even after he died? <laughs> Apparently. But actually, no, because they really don't use... Uh, Prince Ahmed, um, mm. there, there might have been a like one-line nod, maybe one of the suitors, maybe, to Princess Jasmine's name, Prince Ahmed. No. Um, or no, there wasn't no. even... I, no. I don't know why where that thought came from. Um, but, yeah, so there is, like, nothing... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Disney takes the Aladdin story uh, and does something completely different, so he doesn't really come forward. To be fair, I'm not um, quite sure if I think Jasmine might be a, a Walt Disney invention of the story. Probably so. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think the princess is Jasmine in the actual Aladdin story. I haven't actually read the. I uh, haven't actually read the story, so I can't tell you one way or the other. That's fair. Um, but, uh, but the Aladdin story, of course, is the one that every Disney kid knows. Um, at least the Disney-fied version of it. Uh, but the story does not center on Aladdin. Aladdin is actually a, a B plot, maybe even a C plot to what's going on. Uh, but it is told in multiple parts. Uh, but it follows first. Um, it is the caliph. Uh, the caliph is having a giant party. It's a birthday. It's a birthday. I was about to say, I'm like, wait, am I wrong? No, I should say party. All right, but yeah, it was his birthday. All right. Uh, so his birthday party is. Uh, and it's a big party. I mean, mm. they, it's not indoors. They have taken it outside. It's it's just everyone and their brother and their mother and their sister have shown up and they're all celebrating. And he rides in on an elephant. R rides in, in a, on a giant elephant. Uh, but rides in on this elephant. Everyone's having a great time. And then the sorcerer shows up. And he's always said that he's an African sorcerer. So clearly he'd be from the North African parts of the uh, uh, of the Muslim world. Because uh, that would have been part by you know that would have been part of of the Islamic world at that point. It's shadow puppets. Uh, they aren't really specific. About yeah, that kind of stuff. yeah. It's and I don't think they meant it racially. They just meant it geographically. Um, but I he's mean, from. But being Middle Eastern, he's from a land beyond. He's from a foreign land. It's shadow puppets. There are no skin tones in this movie. No, they're all black. <laughs> um, and anyway, so um, the sorcerer shows up and says, "Look, Caliph, I have a magic horse." And he shows the magic horse off, and everyone's like, oh, it's a magic horse. And it comes back down, and he says, would you like to buy it? Or, excuse me, the caliph says, I would like to buy it. And the sorcerer says, no, I shall not part from it. 
And then the sorcerer, and then the caliph says, but you can have anything you want. And the sorcerer goes, anything. And at this point, there's some very good foreshadowing where they show a shot of the princess and then her brother. <laughs> and guess what the sorcerer says? I can have anything. I want your daughter. Hand in marriage. And the caliph is like, all right. Now, Ahmed, however, is like, what are you doing? Don't, no, I uh, object to this completely. And the sorcerer's like, come on now. Look, I don't even let you ride the flying horse. Get on the flying horse. Yeah, pull the little crown thing on his head back, and that's the, uh, that'll get started. And he shoots up into the sky. And the sorcerer did not tell him how to bring it back down, which there's a little lever on the backside of the horse that will bring him down. Um, and, alas, is, uh, uh, and so, anyway, so the, the prince is suddenly lost uh, as he's flying off screen and way up into the sky. And to the point that there's a nice little touch, they actually show it's getting colder um, mm -hmm. as he goes higher and higher. Little snowflakes falling. Yeah, snowflakes are falling. As, and uh, as, um, Prince Ahmed as, ever higher. as the caliph and uh, Dinar Asad, who's his sister, um, the princess, the princess um, as they realize that they have been had, um, they arrest the sorcerer and throw him in jail. And you think, oh, well, okay, the sorcerer's out of the picture for the rest of the movie. You'd be wrong. The, but wait, wait, you're telling me the villain wasn't eliminated in the first ten minutes? I know. Shocking, right? That's what we do all the time now. <laughs> but uh, Ahmed eventually lands in a foreign majestical land, which we are told is the kingdom of demons known as Wakwak. W-A-K hyphen W-A-K. Wakwak. Um, waka and, waka. <laughs> not Fozzie Bear. Not Fozzie Bear. Okay. Waka waka waka. waka. All right. Just walk walk. Just walk walk. Sorry, it's a silly name. We can't help ourselves. No, because Fozzie's a silly man. So I mean, he's a. So, sorry. It's a how silly can we bear. say? How can we say this in the most intimidating way possible? The island of walk walk. All right. Yeah, that's, 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 that works. That works good. All right. Uh, so anyway, he gets to the island of walk walk. First thing he meets is uh, base apparently a harem of beautiful women. Um, However, he eventually run, uh, runs out from, uh, from this. Yeah, the, the, and these are supposed to be the handmaidens of the queen of the island. Well, he runs out uh, and ends up at a pond, and he sees descending onto the pond these winged creatures. Except these winged creatures aren't winged creatures. They are, in fact, beautiful women who have flying contraption things. And the last one lands, turns out she's the queen, but she's obviously the most, or excuse me, princess of the island. Um, but she is the most beautiful, and he is smitten with her immediately. And when the, the uh, and her name, as we come to find out, her name is Peri Banu. But Peri Banu uh, and her handmaidens that have come with her um, go to bathe into the, in the lake, and he steals the feathers. By our modern day standards, this is not kosher. No. Uh, but this is what he does. And the, they come out from their bath, and uh, he makes his presence known. The two handmaidens immediately pick up their feathers and fly away, except he's got uh, Perry Banu's feathers, and so she runs. Unfortunately, this is not something that would become... Stop, that wouldn't be except, uh, start being uh, seen as wrong by Hollywood for a while. By Jimmy Stewart. Years. Jimmy Stewart did this, and it's a wonderful life <laughs> to his future wife. 
In the bushes. Yeah, okay. In the bushes, yeah. In the bushes. So this is a trope. It's not kosher. Though I Folks, would say, if your lo- if your prospective loved one is naked, do not steal their clothes as a way to get them to talk to you. All right, it's- Jimmy Stewart's defense. That was not no. intentional. He still held the clothes <laughs> hostage, Bryce. <laughs> she was in the bushes. All right, and he had the clothes. All right, maybe he. It's went, not kosher. He went on a little too bad. On the jet, on Don't the- do this, people. All right, all right. It turns out 1926, it's like, and the Arabian Nights both had slightly different standards. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Uh, but except the worst thing here is that Princess Ackman actually chases after her. Yes, it um, gets worse. <laughs> which does put him in an entirely different category from uh, from It's a Wonderful Life. Um, however, he does, after he tries to convince her that, look, I'm just, you know, uh, I'm just in love with you, basically. And she... Uh, she doesn't believe him. I don't know why, but she doesn't believe him. He does, though, before it goes any further at that point, he does return the feathers to her and as a as like, no, I'm seriously not out to hurt you. Here are your feathers back. Um, is that a little too late? Yes, that's a little too late. But in 1926 anime, uh, movie making, this was enough to, uh, uh, build trust, to build trust, soften her heart, as you just said, and for them to fall in love. And except you start, she says something that's kind of interesting, which is that, look, um, yeah, no, I'm going to marry you, but you better be aware that uh, the demons that I am king of or that I'm princess of are going to come try and kill you. That's a wonderful wedding night gift. Um, I mean, it worked for Frankenstein. That's, it's, isn't that just like standard wedding practice in most places? You know, if... On the wedding night, you know, people are going to try and come kill you. That's that's how it works, right? I'm not married. I don't know. I, I hope that's not what happens. All right. Start practicing with your swords, single people. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get my sword out, uh, out of the library. Um, stay in guard all night. Um, anyway, so um, Perry Banu and Prince Ahmed are uh, fall in love. Um and they eventually leave the island. Except uh, we also, uh, about this time, the sorcerer gets himself free because guess what? He's a sorcerer. Um, I mean, he got out of those chains like he was Roger Rabbit in that scene in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's so, like he could he get could he get hold up not the whole time just when it's funny and this kind of, <laughs> <laughs> and this it was kind of funny. It was like just. Whoop. And so he escapes, and he blames, uh, and and he uh, blames Prince Ahmed for all this. So he decides to go after Prince Ahmed. Oh, um, the consequences! My own actions. It must be that man's fault. <laughs> and he, what he does is um, separate uh, Prince Ahmed and Perry Banu. Kidnaps Perry Banu and takes her to the Emperor of China. And gives her to the uh, Emperor of China. Sells her to yeah, the sells Emperor. Yeah, sells her. To, to, uh, yeah. He say, yeah, it's not a gift. He, he sells her. Um, I do like whenever they have financial interactions, just throw a bag of money at you. <laughs> bag, that's, how, that's how it is shown in the shadow puppetry is bags of money just start to fly from one hand to the ground. It's like, ah, oh, yes, now you have money. Here, take the money. <laughs> uh, and so this is, happens with Perry Banner, uh, selling Perry Banner to the Chinese Emperor. And the sorcerer kind of disappears at this particular time again. Um, and, uh, Ahmed has to try and figure, um, uh, save 
Harry Banu. Uh, he does encounter a witch who at first looks like she's going to be a villain until he, she realizes, wait, your enemy's the African sorcerer too? My enemy's the African sorcerer. We are now best friends. I bet it's literally, <laughs> literally the extent of it. She literally said, we are friends. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so she helps uh, try and save uh, Perry Banu from, uh, from the emperor. And... They're successful. And then the demons finally catch up to them because Perry Banu told him the demons are going to try and come and kill you. So the demons actually kidnap her and take her back to Wok Wok. And the island of Wok Wok. I know, we're doing our best to make it sound intimidating. Uh, but takes her back to the island. Um, and uh, Prince Ackman actually grabs onto one of the demons and flies back to the island, except he gets dropped right outside the gates of the island of Wok Wok. And... Bum, bum, bum! And, he, and the gates close in front of him. Gasp. And he is, he, he is told the only way that he will be able to open those gates is with the magic lamp, which was last taken by Aladdin. Bum, bum, bum! And now here is... And then... Uh, he goes on a short trip, a short journey to try and find Aladdin, which doesn't actually take that long because yeah, he encounters a young man who is being attacked by some ferocious beast that looks vaguely like an elephant, um, and Ahmed shoots it dead with his arrows. And it turns out this young man is Aladdin. Hey, I was looking for you. Um, it's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. And. This people accuse Star Wars of uh, being too small of a universe. <laughs> this is too small of a universe. Um, but uh, Aladdin then tells the story of why he what's happened been happening with him, um, and it turns out guess who's to blame for his troubles? Is it the sorcerer? It's the sorcerer. Oh, wow. Um, and the sorcerer had uh, after he had gotten uh, rid of Perry Banu over to the emperor had returned to uh, the kingdom of the caliph and had tricked this poor tailor boy, uh, Aladdin. Uh, he's not a street rat here. He's a tailor. Um, tricks rat? the. I don't buy that. <laughs> anyway, so this, uh, this poor Aladdin uh, boy, young man is uh, tricked by the sorcerer to go find the magic lamp in weird mystical temple in the desert that part is stays the same no, no it's the uh, story of aladdin yeah this part stays the same <laughs> and uh aladdin is trying to come out of the cave with the magic lamp the sorcerer really poor does a really poor acting job of saying hand the lamp up to me and i'll let and i'll help you up and aladdin realizes so easily what's about to happen if he does that he's like oh no and uh, <laughs> I, I saw this in a disney movie once <laughs> And the sorcerer, so in, uh, when he refuses to come up any further, the sorcerer is like, "Fine, I'll lock you in. You'll die down there. I'll just come get it, come get the lamp back myself later." Well, Aladdin, of course, realizes that in the lamp is a genie, and he starts making wishes. And he, much like Aladdin in the cartoon, wishes for a giant palace, makes himself a prince, and 
sits it up right outside basically the Caliph city. And where did that palace come from? I don't know. But the Caliph and, and uh, the princess, Dinarsard, uh, go investigate. They meet uh, now Prince Aladdin. And actually, they uh, the prince, uh, princess and the new prince uh, hit it off. And they have to get secret. It was secretly married, right? That, that was it's. They got married, um, and, and this, it, to be clear, is the Princess Dinosaur who we saw. Yeah, the this is Princess who, who, the, who the sorcerer wanted, and the sorcerer is like, wait. So my whole plan is now completely backfired because the crap, uh, the crappy poor little tailor that I was manipulating now has run off with the woman I am stalking using my magic powers. Um, oh, and we can't have that. No, we can't have that. So he literally kidnaps the entire palace. Of Aladdin's palace, take just lifts it up, disappears, uh, kidnaps the princess, and uh, banishes Aladdin out into the mystical countryside. At which point he is wandering and tries to pick fruit from a tree. The tree turns out to be a monster, and that's when Ahmed shows up. Uh, the two team up uh, to save Peri Banu just in the nick of time. Then they go back, defeat the sorcerer, uh, defeat the sorcerer. All the couples end up happily ever after, and. Um, but let me be clear, there is also at one point a awesome magic battle between the witch and the African sorcerer. And uh, that battle looks awesome and you should watch the movie just for that moment toward the climax. Uh, the, the magic effects in general in this movie are really impressive. Uh, they do a lot of whirling, mm-hmm. cloudy things emerging from, from the nether. It's really good. Uh, and there's so much going on in this, so I'm sorry if that... Uh, summary took a little bit long, but there is just uh, it is a complicated pl- it, which is really fascinating. It and, is only and, 72 minutes long, and that is all in it. <laughs> but there is so much happening, which um, is really impressive for an animated feature in 1926 that it's not simplistic, it is very co- plot complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> The and you know is is not is not too simple and yet packs so much in there, um, you know. You just it it takes a while to to say well this happened this happened oh wait all the way over here this, and then there's this over here so um, but it is excellent you, uh, as you said it's only seventy two minutes so um, if you this is one that uh, is worth your time take taking a look at so um, that's my summary I'm sticking to it. That's my summary. That's, oh, that's my, my summary. summary. All right. Well, that we're uh, we're probably gonna we should cut that. We yeah. should absolutely cut the cut that part. We're not going to cut it at all. We're gonna leave it right in. Here. All right. Well, congratulations. We got a little bit of extra singing in here. Uh. Well, that. Thank you, Bryce, for walking us through that. So let's let's uh talk a little bit then just about what we thought. I think it's pretty clear what we think of it. Uh, oh, we are that very impressed by this movie. This was a fantastic film. Uh, this. You know, we we touched talked a little about this last time when we were talking about the Phantom about how silent film, of course, was not really silent. Mm-hmm. Uh, music was played with it. Often there were scores played with it. One of the things is they scored the movie when they were when they were making it. That way that the that way the animation would have natural beats to go with the music that was to be performed uh, performed with it. Uh, we do have, and that is what we're hearing. We do. Yeah, I, do I, I noticed that, that the, uh, and I was very curious about that myself because the music that we hear on the DVD um, 
does match up so well, and I was very curious whether or not that was yeah as original. From what I uh, and I do apologize for wrong because I can't I couldn't get a hundred percent confirmation, but from what from the implication from the materials with it is that this was the original score, uh, which is which is not going. We do have the original score for some films from this era. We do seem to have quite a bit from this film. There's an institute dedicated to Lotta Reininger by herself. Uh, in Germany, again, there's a wonderful documentary about her and about uh, her contributions to early animation mm -hmm. uh, that is on the DVD. We were watching it a little bit as well, uh, and so that's uh, it's between that and some of the materials with the DVD uh, that make me pretty sure that it was right. that. But that's one of the great. That was one of the really interesting things about it. I think that was just this very conscious decision to integrate the music with the animation to emphasize the story beats of the animation mm -hmm. and to help guide their animation as well. It went both ways. The It's like when... Uh, it's like in Shrek when they did the animation to uh, the opening sequence with uh, Smash Mouth's All-Star um, and they had intended to originally uh, redo the music for that with their own score and they just realized we just did all this animation to this and it all fits so perfectly we can't do better on our own so let's just keep it <laughs> someone called smash mouth uh but so <laughs> uh but yes it was uh it was really uh it was it was gorgeous i think the i think the really cool thing about this film is it's is that it's a reminder kind of that the things that we find Cool in animation today are still things that are cool and important. Then, like there are certain, there are you know, 1920 seems a long time ago. I mean, it's a hundred years ago. We are just shy of the hundredth anniversary of this film. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, prince stories of the Arabian Nights and the princes and magic battles. These things are still what drive people to the theaters today. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it's just it's just absolutely I think fantastic. Yeah, no. As someone who um, is a fan of King Arthur, um, these old stories of um, of heroism uh, are something that we have never stopped finding appealing. We do change them on modern, uh, you know, with our, as our sensibilities change, how we tell these stories change. Uh, I mean. We talk talking about ch don't chase your uh, potential girlfriend down while she's stark naked and tell and just profess that you no no I am not threatening you I love you it's a bad idea no. um, and let me reiterate that's a bad idea um, but today's stories that we get mm -hmm. uh, we get very um, several different variations of it but women have become much stronger they have a lot more agency over their own life and and in some wonderful and in several wonderful cases we get it where they are the hero of the story mulan yeah. mulan people mulan um let's but, get down to business while well, we are talking a lot about disney for um for uh for a, a, for a non disney for, animation. for a non-disney animation film um but not and of course um even even damsel in distress stories, women have um, you know since the eighties and nineties have started to get more and more control over their own destiny. Non Disney one, of course, would be Anastasia is a great example where she might not be the quote unquote hero, but she kind of is. Um, but she has still a lot of the damsel in distress tropes about her as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but she has a lot more control over her life, um, despite the fact she has amnesia. Mm -hmm. um, or 
honestly think Tangled and Frozen. Those are Ta- both those are those are both, those are both excellent efforts in modern Disney films to undo to undo the damsel in stress. But of course, uh, I mean the princesses save themselves in Frozen. That's the whole point of that movie. And in Tangled, she has a frying pan and that she uses as a weapon. Frying pans. Who knew? <laughs> the uh, so it was a uh, so it that's definitely a trope we run. Uh, that you know, people have tried to under, and that's I think if there's any criticism is that Dinosaur and uh, Pani Banu are underdeveloped compared to Prince Aku. Not that anyone in this film is like a super developed character, right? But they don't really have their own agency right. uh, in the way that Ahmed does, or the uh, or the uh, or Aladdin, or the Sorcerer, mm-hmm. or the Witch. The Witch is the only woman who has has a lot of agency. She's the one who's like. I mean, she is ready. She's ready to bring down the full force of her magical powers on Ahmed's head, and then stops on a dime. It's like, wait, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Hello, bestie. <laughs> uh, but that said, I, I, I love, I love the witch. And they, uh, just a little moment. Uh, they have an intro cards, like character cards at the start, and they animate the different characters as they introduce them with a name. And then when the witch appears, uh, there's just this moment right at the end. Where that she, where her face abruptly turns to face the screen, and it's just really effective. Like, whoa! <laughs> she and, and which is, of course, yeah, ugly and, and very. You, but also, when you get to her, she looking. her, and when you get to her, her movements are very. Um, I would say pretty unique compared to a mm-hmm. lot of the other characters. She's not. She is a much more chaotic mover mm-hmm. than uh, the she, others. She and the sorcerer both are mm-hmm. very, very chaotic in their motions, especially when they're doing magic. Uh, which I suppose is thematically a point uh, mm. that uh, magic uh, is uh, very superhuman or non-human. Yeah. It's it's a uh, it's the chaotic part of the world rather than part of the ordered thing. They like that she lack she and in both the and the swords both lack the gracefulness of like Penny Banu's movements, who's mm. very graceful. And again, just to touch again on like the intricacies of these animations, like. Penny Banu especially has this long flowing hair. Mm-hmm. It's like, and but think about that: if you're creating a black figurine that has to move, you know, and be able to be manipulated from frame to frame, having this thin black strands of hair come off to create the image of a of flowing locks is very impressive and very intricate. Especially then when you've got the feathered dresses that uh, Penny Banu and her entourage have like it's just all really intricate like she Lada Reniger was really really talented uh in how she crafted these figurines for the animation yeah uh and she said you know she said you really have to try and she would move in ways herself as she created the um the puppet so that she could get a better idea of natural movement and I, I would say um the thing that I think mo- makes it most accomplished is the fingers mm-hmm. um, the it because the hands don't move as a hand they move with moving fingers that are moving in their own uh, you know you know it's all you know somewhat natural you know obviously it's like claymation it never looks quite right but it's um, but she does it in such a way it looks fluid that it mm-hmm. works for those characters and works within this world and it looked uh, and it's really impressive mm-hmm. and even like the faces because uh, you know Mm-hmm. For the most part, except for like occasional scene, like where the witch, yeah, looks at the front, like and the sorcerer does too at one point. Most part, you're seeing side silhouettes, mm-hmm. but the intricacy of the nose to the mouth, so that you that she can still create some form of emotional expression when she needs to, 
uh, with these faces. Uh, it's just, it's just, mm -hmm. uh, it's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, and and of course we're talking about facial expressions things, but we also should talk about the set, uh, the sets a little bit more. Yeah. Um, which also Rami, as we were sitting there talking about this, um, the shot uh, again. If you go onto uh, my YouTube channel, uh, J Bryce Odom uh, underscore author. Uh, you find a trailer that we, uh, we put out for the whole podcast season, and I use a clip from there. And this actually, as I was thinking about this, reminded me that I actually messed up in the summary for one brief way, uh, and that was Aladdin. Aladdin doesn't get kidnapped with the palace. Aladdin's left behind and is blamed for the kidnapping. And the caliph almost cuts his head off, and he escapes and gets onto a boat. And you get this really awesome scene of Aladdin, nat one, unfurling the sail, which looks really mm -hmm. cool. It's not... It does, um, he has to get the boat uh, to set sail, mm -hmm. and then he is navigating uh, some really cool waves mm -hmm. as he escapes and has to go find what's uh, find out a way to save the day. Yeah, and then the and of course, like you were talking about with the sets and everything. Like mm -hmm. again, this was a team effort. Someone else, not uh, one of Lada Redinger's co-workers made these backgrounds, the intricacies of the city of the Caliph, mm -hmm. of the palace, of the of of Walk Walk. These were all done by them. Like the and my favorite scene of the entire movie, and I say this despite someone who hates snakes, is the battle with a giant snake that Prince Ahmed he is dropped in a ravine by the magician, uh, when uh, the magician's about to kidnap uh, Perry Banu. And he's trying to climb up, and suddenly this head of a snake pops out of a cave, and then it just continues to come out. And it's I hate snakes, and this I hate snakes. This is not the most realistic snake in the world, but dear God, I hate snakes so much I can't even watch that scene from Indiana Jones and the uh, uh, Indiana Jones. It's just ah. Uh. So anyway, it was a uh, but that's so that's where uh so it's like so there's just really intricate stuff happening throughout the whole thing. Uh, she really does study movement, although when he kills the snake, it does just conveniently tie itself off to a tree up at the top of the ravine so he can climb out using the snake. You mean that doesn't happen in real life? No, I, I don't think so. In fairness, I get, do not go near snakes. So, You and Indiana Jones have that in common. We do. That's why I can't watch that scene in his movie. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? snakes? All right, anyway, so I, I think it's clear that we are really big fans of this movie. If you are a fan of animation... Uh, please check this film out. I think I think we can't recommend this film uh, enough. And uh, and this would be season two of our podcast, but we have been talking about maybe doing some shorter, uh, doing an episode uh, or or two on shorter works mm -hmm. because a lot of early, especially the early silent film era, are not feature length. And mm -hmm. but there's a lot of really big work in that time period as well. So we may uh, take a uh, revisit uh, a lot ringer. Uh, uh, again with some of her shorter works as well because she's very impressive and you can find a lot of it on YouTube we're looking at it right now uh, of course you can find the complete adventures of Prince Ahmed on there but you can also uh, find some of her other works uh, such as Akasin and Nicolette uh, a Cinderella uh, a version of Cinderella that she did uh, and uh, among others, those are our two first ones. Uh, Add the Secret of the Marquise. I don't see if the uh, if uh, Doctor Doolittle was on here. That was one of her major later projects. Uh, but so yeah, a lot of her work is on YouTube and publicly available. So we do encourage you to look that. We may we will we may we may uh, 
revisit as part of an episode on shorter films. We may mm-hmm. revisit it as shorter films of Lot Redinger. I think that would be a, a fun time. Uh, so we'll, that'll be uh, to come uh, sometime in early next year when we move into season, season two. Uh, so we've got one. We've uh, we have one more episode here on season one uh, to come. We're going to do to bring in the new year a new year movie uh, called The Phantom Carriage out of Sweden, uh, a ghost story set at the last as a man dies at the last stroke of midnight and is told he must guide death's carriage. So that's where we're going to come back to. Uh, next uh, next time. Uh, in the meantime, Bryce, where can they find you? Well, uh, as a published author, I've got my own website, jbryceodom.com, but you can also follow me on Facebook at jbryceodom or on YouTube or Instagram, uh, jbryceodom underscore author. I've got some great content on the YouTube channel, uh, including a couple radio plays and some other of my own work. So please come check me out and, uh, and uh, drop a line and say hello or buy my books. Oh, hey, I'm the books. Right. <laughs> uh, and, of course, you can find find uh, me and us as the podcast at Silence Gold Pod on Twitter. And also you can email us at silencesgoldenpodcast at gmail.com. Well, Bryce, it's been great talking with you today. It's been uh, great talking to you. And uh, everyone out there, we will see you next time.